Welcome to Pacific Northwest Coffee and Conversation, a bi-weekly podcast where we speak with leaders in the Pacific Northwest advancing social justice and fighting hate. I'm Mary Cypers, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing our first mother-daughter duo, Margot Bellamy, who is a member of the Anchorage School Board, and Dr. Christina Bellamy, her daughter, who is a joyful disruptor of the status quo and the director of teaching and learning at the Anchorage School District. Margot and Christina, we are so delighted to have you on today's show. Welcome to the podcast and let's get started. Margot and Christina, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. I was thinking you're the mother-daughter duo from up north. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> our, north, our northern friends. And this is the first time I'm actually interviewing a mother-daughter duo or two people at once for our podcast. So I'm really excited about today's conversation. And actually, my mom is a 40-year-plus public school educator. So this conversation feels Ooh. very close to me. And I know that she's also really molded me into the person I am today, so I can very much relate. So I thought, Margot, I would start with you if that's okay. I'd love to learn more about what influenced you to pursue a lifelong career in education. I know from your extensive biography, you've served in so many different roles in the community, librarian, principal, and now member of the Anchorage School Board. Yeah. It's been quite a journey. And I think it started actually in high school when, uh, and I grew up in Florida, Miami, Florida. I grew up during the time of integration, social unrest. And one of the things that really imprinted me growing up was that some of us got to talk to school counselors and some of us did not. You know, some of us had opportunities that others of us did not. And those opportunities really most of the time evolved around race. And so when I went to college, I kind of took that with me, but I found a whole different, I found a whole different mindset, a whole different level of acceptance. And from that, you know, long story short, when I went to college, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, right? I wanted to help people. I wanted to start out as a nurse. I had it all planned. I was going to be a nurse and then a doctor and whatever. Anyway, I met the most amazing person in high school, a friend of my sister who was an educator at the same university where I was. And I got into her class and she changed my life. She literally changed my life. And so from that exposure and from the prior experience of wanting to understand and make schools better, Uh, make schools a bigger part of not just my life, but the community and kids. That's how I ended up where I ended up. So all the things I've done were really because somebody influenced me to think different and to do things differently. And so when I came to Anchorage, I came out of love because my husband was in the Air Force. And so we decided we'd stay in Anchorage, and then go back to Miami to raise our kids. Well, that was almost 50 years ago, and we're still here. And my introduction into the Anchorage School District came by way of, uh, we were in a movie theater, and I met someone who taught in the Anchorage School District. I was brand new, and there goes that opportunity. 
So I have had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and it's my job, my spirit to pay it back. So when my offspring (laughs) decided to go into education, I mean, I cannot tell you to this day how amazing seeing her navigate through that the same career, you know, at a different level, different times and in different ways, but the same impact. Absolutely. (laughs) It's so amazing to think about that legacy and that through line that you are passing on and that you're both passing on to so many people. And Christina, I'd love to learn from you pivoting a little. Was entering the field of education a foregone conclusion because of your mom's work? Or were there certain aspects of the field that really spoke to you and encouraged you to pursue this path? So, you know, I actually, it's it's interesting to hear my mom say that, you know, like, you know, my daughter is now, that was not my plan. My plan was to go to law school. I had always been very keenly aware of how like policy, politics, those structures, and ultimately the justice system had such a strong impact on people's day-to-day existence. Like we just didn't really understand. I didn't, I never felt, you know, as a young adult, like we don't quite understand like our rights and what it's supposed to be and how we're supposed to be interacting and be a part of the community. And it's only that way that we make things better. And so I graduated from the University of North Carolina at Charlotte with a bachelor's of science in criminal justice. And so, you know, came home and decided to work before I went to law school and to save money. And so I was working for an attorney who's now a judge in the state in her personal practice and was studying to be a paralegal and, you know, studying for the LSAT and all of those things. And it just so happened that there was an opportunity as you mature and your, your status changes as a recent college graduate, you know, I was looking for different employment just so that I could have a nice benefits package and to be able to continue to build my independence as a young adult, just fresh out of college. And because of this rich skill set that my mother had given me as an educator, you know, I was, I already knew how to set up tutoring programs. I had been doing that honestly, since I was a kid in high school, because when your mom is the principal of a middle school and you get to help out with all the things, right. And so I had already been, you know, certificated as a substitute teacher at this point. And, you know, my mom says, you know, well, honey, if you're looking for some something different. This opportunity in the school district is coming up. We just got this grant called the 21st Century's Learning Center Grant. They're going to be doing all these different after-school programs and stuff around the around the district. And she was like, you should put your name in the hat because you do all this stuff already. And I was like, what stuff? And she's like, you know, run meet, you know, run, run, plan meetings, recruit people to volunteer. She's like, you might have to put a board together. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but go talk to this person and, and you should see. And so I thought, you know what, this is a good, good time. You know, I'd been working in the law office for a couple of years and, and thought, you know, this is a great time and, and, and it will help me out. So I did. And literally from, it felt like, honestly, Mary, like the minute I stepped into the school, I, I, it was Wonder Park Elementary, tiny school, um, not far from where I grew up. And I just needed more. Like, how do I do more? How can I be more? What job do they need me to do at the school? Okay, I can do that early. Cause you know, working in the after school program, my day was like 10 to six, right? So 
I would find myself literally like at school at 7.30 trying to help the teachers and the principal do whatever needed to be done. It didn't matter. I just needed to be there. And my love for watching kids grow and change and their fascination with school and, you know, making connections with families really, because that was my role as formerly my role as the community schools coordinator. So I did get the job. It was just amazing. And so I did, I said, you know, I need to be a teacher tomorrow. (laughs) So how do I do that? I just got out of college. You know, I don't think the ink, you know, was, was quite completely dry on my, my degree, but I was like, this is it. This is my, this is, this is what I've been called to do. This is the social justice. This is the law. This is the policy. This is the the mentoring and nurturing that I have been doing for a better part of my young adult life. Like this is the, this is the sauce. And so I did, I joined actually teach for America was the opportunity that I took advantage of. And that even kind of deep, more deeply immersed me in those things that I was passionate about and where they intersect with public education. And so, yeah, my journey has been different, non-traditional by typical educator standards, but I think that it has done nothing but brought me some amazing opportunity and perspective because I've literally taught in school districts across the country as a public educator committed to opportunities for students. I helped found that sector of charter schools, right? As one of the first charter school administrators, well, founders, you know, when the new charter law passed. And I know it's had its ups and downs, but at the core, it was me as a child of the Anchorage School District, born and raised in a system that had a rich portfolio of options for students and parents to choose what was right for their kids, looking to be able to provide something like that in the state of Washington, because, you know, our our students are not cookie cutter and the environments that they need and require are not cookie cutter. And so we have to operate in systems that are nimble enough to be able to respond. And so part of what I nerd out to, as I like to say, when it comes to education is that I'm constantly a part of conversations and helping to solve and to provide perspective and work like hands and mind that are willing to work to really help improve our human condition, right? Like if we think, I believe schools are a microcosm of what we go through in society, right? I say that all the time. Yeah. So I get to put passion and love and hope and my hands and my education into it. And then I get to recruit other people to come do that too. (laughs) So I honestly cannot say enough about just the opportunities that I've had, number one, but then the the joy that I get from, from having the privilege to do the work that I do every day. I couldn't imagine it in any other profession. Yeah. And, and Anchorage is a, a wonderful community and all better for having both of you there. <laughs> Thank and you. I know, Margot, you have had a long history calling Anchorage home. And Christina, you also grew up in the community. I've had the privilege of being able to travel there and build relationships for ADL with all aspects of our work. And I guess for our listeners that aren't Alaskans and maybe Pacific Northwesterners or people throughout the country, before we dive into education, I'd love to learn from you, what makes Anchorage and Alaska a special place for you both? Oh, wow. Aside from being on the, you know, the the ancestral lands of thousands of years of 
the, the nine of people caring for and honoring this land. I mean, I that is amazing in and of itself. My husband and I really thought hard about where we wanted to raise our kids. And we wanted to raise them in a place where there was diversity, where they would see themselves, maybe not everywhere, but most places, uh, where they would have opportunity and where, where we would be able to just settle as a family and be part of something bigger. So that bigger would be our church. It would be our community. It would be the environments in which we find ourselves working. So my husband, he originally, prior to retiring, he worked, had two jobs. One was at a major lumber company here where he was a manager. And then in his later life, prior to retiring, he worked for the VA. He knows more people than the two of us put together. Now we've been, you know, we've been in schools. I've been in schools for 40 something years, over 40 years. And Chris, together, he knows more people. So Part of what really, what it boils down to me is having an environment that totally, absolutely supports education and having an environment where kids are important, including my kids. Other folks' kids are important to me. My kids are important to me. But it makes a difference when the community shares, you know, that, that, that importance. And so, and I really appreciate that. We tried to move out. We tried to go back to Florida but I wouldn't be out very long before I was ready to come back. And then there's just the fact that, you know, every snowfall for me, and now Christina and I are different on this point. I love the snow. I love the winter. Every snowfall is like a renewal for me. I just get energy from that. I don't care if it's the, the 15th snowfall of the season, every one rejuvenates me. It gives me hope. It gives me a fresh start. And, and I know that's my own mental framing, but uh, I love the weather. I don't fish, I don't camp, but I do love the seasons and how they, uh, because they do, they energize me in different ways. And you can see every single one of them very distinctly in on this part of the world. My kids have had such opportunities, opportunities that I would have, I don't even know that I thought about it. Some of the things that my kids have gotten to do there are like-minded people here who share in all aspects of, you know, there are people who don't, but there are more important people who do share in my sense of community and how we love it, how we care for it, and how we welcome others into it. That's beautiful. Christina, besides your clear disagreement over <laughs> the amount of snow and frequency, oh do you... I- Do you see things in the same way? (laughs) You know, I see them similarly, but I really honest and truly, Mary, I didn't appreciate any of what that meant to grow up in the state of Alaska and quite frankly, in Anchorage, which is one of the most diverse zip codes in the country. I didn't appreciate it until I was much older in my life. I conversely am energized by the sun and the beach. So when we would go to Miami (laughs) and Georgia to see our family, I was like, this is paradise. But the turning point for me with Alaska honestly came in college. I came home as many, you know, college students do over the summer and worked very typical. And this particular summer, I started working for one of the cruise companies on the train. And so I would get up at 5 a.m. in the morning and I would get on the train and then I would go all the way to Denali National Park, pass up, well, pass it towards Fairbanks and do it overnight. So I would be gone two days and come back. And so that's what I did all summer. 
what that afforded me was the opportunity to actually see the pristine beauty and the diversity of just environment and setting across our state. We were not the campers. I mean, my dad would do the camping and the fishing trips and stuff like that with his, his circle of friends, but we didn't do that because my brother was always in competitive sports. I was always in competitive cheer, dance, modeling, something that had us traveling for those things. So we weren't an outdoorsy type family. So I've kind of started to fall in love with Alaska through a different lens in its, um, and just the way it looked. And then as I became, you know, up, one of the, these conversations I had with my mom, I said, I, you know, I went to school in North Carolina in the, in the nineties. And I said, mom, I called her one day and she's like, well, you're in Charlotte now. Cause I, you know, I, I transferred from a school in Raleigh to Charlotte, you know, my sophomore year. And I, she's, she's like, so what do you think? I said, well, it's beautiful. I said, but I just, I miss other people, you know, in my 18 year old way. And she was like, so tell me what is what does that mean? Like, I don't understand. I was like, you know, like I want to see like Alaska native people. I want to see Samoans. I want to see like people that look like they're of Asian descent. Like, I just want to be around other people. All I see right now are you're white or you're black and that's it. And I was like, the world isn't like that. And so of course there's this robust belly roll kind of on the other end of the line. And my mom's like, duh, we chose where you to raise you on purpose. You have to experience the world and be in the world and know that your sphere of influence is just that your sphere. The world is so much larger than just where you grew up. And so starting to make that comparison, I was like, wow, Growing up in Alaska has afforded us a lot of opportunities. I started to make the connections between the fact that by the time my brother and I were in middle school, we were internationally traveled. We just thought that was normal because of connections and friends that we had from other places, right? Where we were able to go and experience and do those things. And so I started to you know, fall in love with my place of birth differently and appreciate it in ways that I really, truly had not. And making a decision in this last, you know, six years to come back to Anchorage and to raise my son here, you know, that is intentional. I am, I'm raising a black boy in the United States in a time where we're seeing racial unrest and stress and misinformation at a staggering high, like things that I thought that my mom and dad went through as I call them civil rights babies. Cause my dad was born in 45. My mom was born in 50 and both of them in the deep South. I was name? like, I know that was a real, yeah, that was we're very just, direct. Honestly, we're just telling it, <laughs> but honestly, you know, hey, when you're raised, it. But when I you're raised, it, I embrace it. <laughs> right. But when you're raised by people that have had a lived experience, lived experiences, traumatic ones associated with their race and people's perception of what they can, could, and should be just based on that, you have a, as a, as a person now raising their own child, you have a different a heightened awareness and sensitivity that when you start to see history repeating itself, it causes concern. And so for me, this is one of the only places that I would consider raising my son because of the amazing community here, because of the, the opportunities, as my mama says, that it's afforded our family in, in multiple ways. I mean, so many ways, but yeah, I remember 
the first time as a young adult appreciating or expressing appreciation for where I grew up because of the diversity of ethnicity, language, all of it. And now as the mommy of a differing, uh, you know, a child of differing abilities, you know, Jackson is on the spectrum for autism and he is, has Asperger's. And so I'm now learning even a new nuanced way to experience the world and to see how the world responds to him. And I've had nothing but positive experiences living here with him. And it's so interesting how we think of diversity as this universal value that we can all treasure, uphold, advance. But on the other end, one's notion of diversity is so completely formed by (laughs) where you live and how you grew up and, and all of those things just related to geography. So it's so interesting to hear you challenging even my own maybe perceptions or stereotypes of what diversity looks like in Alaska versus other places, which I really appreciate. Thinking more about both of your work in the school systems, you know, with your both clear commitment to social justice and anti-racism and just creating more opportunities for all students. I mean, Margo, what is it like to be on the Anchorage School Board right now? I'd love to learn more about the youth summit that you recently ran that we were so honored to be a part of. You are just such a doer rolling up your sleeves, bringing kids together in a time of stress and pandemic. I mean, I'd love to learn about that from your lens and then go to you, Christina, to learn more about what that looks like from within a school district right now. I can only imagine what a challenging time it truly is on so many fronts. And you're absolutely correct. It is challenging but it's so worth it. It's so worth the, you know, the few people who are misinformed, uninformed, don't really want to know facts. It's a struggle in terms of making sure you you hold the line. I mean, you have got to have, you've got to stand for all kids, but people bring their own, just like what you said, people bring their own perception. So when I talk about equity, I talk about inclusion, I talk about diversity. People go someplace and that place sometimes is just not a real well-informed. It's not a place. It's not a place where it's a place where it's us against them. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of what I'm experiencing now is really for the last three years, I am I am really in awe at the number of people who, number one, support public education to its core. They understand that without it, not only will our kids fail and they're not going to be successful, but our communities won't thrive. And that's what propels me. That's what pushes me every single day to make sure that our kids, we are getting outcomes, positive outcomes for our kids. As a board member, the the thing I enjoy most is having a voice and making sure that what we do is is student focused, it's focused on their success. You know, we did our strategic planning process. The community was real clear as to what its vision and values were. And as the keeper of of the vision and values of the community, it gives me focus. It gives me a direction that we need to be going. So then we had, from that vision and values, we. The, the vision was the goals, and then the values were the guardrails. And so we having the opportunity to educate and re-educate the community around that 
an amazing experience because it was all it was also new for me in the beginning, right? Because when you come from inside the district, because I retired from being an employee to now I'm on the board, there's a certain transition that I had to make, and it took me a few. Uh, it took me a good little while to make that transition because I was wanting to deal, wanting to operate the same as I operated as an employee, but at a higher level, that does not work. The community decides what it wants for its education system. My job as a board member is to make that a reality. And so I've had several wonderful outcomes. One is uh, working with the partnering and actually Christina and I did this together, the Betty Davis Youth Summit. She's how I, I hooked up with ADL and the No Place for Hate program to make that the core of that particular event. And it had a significant meaning for me. Not only did I know the late, the late great Senator Betty Davis, she was a mentor, she was a friend, and having the opportunity to honor her uh, in this way was really, really special to me. But Scott, beyond that, I wanted to find a mechanism that kids could come together from all of our schools have a day of conversations, a day of engagement around different things, and then take that back to their schools and share what they've learned in some way that's significant for them. And so uh, we were able to do that, I think, very successfully. We did get kids from all of our major high schools. We had approximately about 160 kids that showed up. I mean, it was our numbers were low relative to COVID, but we also, uh, we, you know, we had a few that couldn't come because of COVID. But we uh, safely and successfully mitigated that experience. It was a blended experience. We had presenters online as well as presenters in person. And we focused on, you know, opportunities to, you know, make our schools uh, places where there's no place for hate. I'm that is so important. I like what you said, focus goals and guardrails. Yeah. The politicization of education is a really big challenge right now, but I love how focused you are and your willingness to work across difference to get the best outcomes for kids in the community. So kudos to you for your continued strength and oomph that you bring to everything. <laughs> and Christina, looking more about what it looks like to be serving right now as a leader within a school district during COVID, during a time where we're continuing to talk about the role of race in America in the legacy of racism and white supremacy. What does that look like right now for you and how are you managing all of this? Oh, wow. As a faithful and prayerful person, that's how I'm managing it. <laughs> personally, to be quite frank, because it gets to be quite a bit, you know, there are misconceptions sometimes. So the role that I, that I have the honor to serve in is director of K-12 teaching and learning. And so the content areas, which includes the professional learning, the management of content areas all falls in my care for health, PE, social studies, science, math. And then I also supervise the district's curriculum warehouse, our distribution warehouse and that team. And so when you think about that, the people in my care have the distinct charge and honor to support, coach, right? And guide 
curriculum implementation for those content areas pre-K through 12. It's an enormous task and one that um, really, truly, we're kind of the people in the background that you don't get to see, the people behind the curtain, right? Because typically we think of teaching and learning only happening between a teacher and a classroom and a student, but teachers have to also understand what they're supposed to do. And that's the team that I help lead. And I'm glad you totally spelled that out because before coming to the ADL and really getting more immersed in the world of education, I really wasn't very familiar with all of the different roles that it takes for a school district to function. Yeah. For a teacher to open their doors, there's a ton of work and people that are behind those processes that you never get to see or meet. And those are the, like I said, the people that that, um, I have the privilege and honor to work with and to, to, to lead. When we think back, when I think back to, we're almost a year now. So March, actually we're over a year. So We're about almost two years in March of 2022 will be two years from the time that I gathered my team at the Ed Center and said, hey, guys, we there's this COVID thing. I know we've heard about it, like, but people are starting to stress out about it and you guys are going home right now. Really? What are we going to do? Just get about three to four weeks worth of work. We'll be back. Like, (laughs) I don't think I saw my team until like a year later. right? Like in person, right? The whole team. So it's one of those things where in those first months, those four weeks, if I can take you back to that of March of 2020. Are you willing to relive the trauma? I am for a brief (laughs) moment, right? Because it goes to serve as to what it helps to illustrate kind of what we continue to go through. So the team worked around the clock. We had, we got hundreds of teachers across content areas and grade levels on, on teams. We had to literally touch every single course, every subject in the Anchorage school district to turn it virtual. Didn't exist before we started doing that. That was, that work was all led by teaching and learning. And we did it with teams of teachers across our district, virtually no less. So we're building the ship as we're trying to figure out where the pieces go. (laughs) Right. And that has continued to be our posture. It's whatever it takes to get the job done for kids. And when, and our through line for kids is for adults, right? So what professional learning do principals need? What do teachers need? What do classified and TA support staffs need? What's the access? What's the timeline? What resources do we or don't we have to rely on? Just this last week and this week, almost every member of our department, both certificated and classified, have been deployed into schools. We've actually been doing that since the pandemic, since we went back to school last fall with with the pandemic. But we haven't been doing our typical jobs because we've been responding to overwhelming staff shortages across the system. And we want to help the school board make, allow schools to stay open. So oftentimes we are working during the day to help support schools and doing the work that we need to do outside of what a typical workday would be. So the team in my care, while exuberant to help support, and they are some of the most amazing professionals I've actually had the privilege to work with resilience wise, um, they're tired and people go, well, you work at the ed center, but all the work that we do actually even outside of a pandemic is in schools. So it's now just exacerbated by the fact that now we're helping to support schools and then trying to figure out when and how we do our work outside of that time. But in general, the work that I get to do, I'm so passionate about because it really truly is shaping adult practice. And so when we as adults, as humans, right, can take a look at 
our lived experiences, our records, those things that play unconsciously when, as we go about our life and our days, when we can take time to actually examine those and consider the impact that our personhood has on, on a community, has on a classroom or a staff, right? And to start, right. Those, how do those how do how we show up impact all of those environments? And then what tools do I need, right? What tools do we bring to bear to help people go through that so that they are just aware? It's an awareness that I've have found in public education, in education in general, whether it's we're talking about for students or for adults is invaluable because that truly is that growth mindset that we talk about, right? When we refuse right, or cut that, that opportunity for learning and exploration off, that's when we find ourselves, you know, in my experience in a pickle, because we're not, we're, we're not, we're not, you know, um, flexible in our thinking enough to consider that there is another experience that is value, valuable and valued outside of my own. How would you extend that to the wider community? Because that is really how I'd love to wrap up. Yeah. You have talked so much about how to make change within a school district, especially with your work with adults and educators. You know, we are almost upon Martin Luther King Day. We are one year out from this insurrection. We are about six months out from the George Floyd protests. I mean, we're at such a pivotal time Mm -hmm. right now in our communities. How can everyday people who are listening make a change, be a supporter of young people in our communities? I mean, what kind of advice would you give? So for me, one of my focus for the last year has been around John Lewis's beloved community. How do we build a community that cares for, provides for, and is kind to all of its members? And so, and I'm thankful for that, for just having that frame because it really does help me to figure out where I'm going to, how I'm going to operate within that frame. One of my favorite analogies is really, I guess it's not really an analogy, it's a story. The Maasai tribe, they put kids at the beginning and the end of every single conversation. Kassarian and Gera, how are the children? That's how they greet each other. And then at the end, it's the response is not, oh, we're good, they're fine. Now, you know, the children are well. And so in that context of beloved community, the com- our communities are only as strong or as good as we treat our kids, as we care for our kids. So in my mind, if we are- All of our kids. Yeah, a all of our community, kids. It's all of us. We cannot, we can, even though we are divided, we have different thoughts, we have different processes. The one equalizer, the one common ground that we have is our children. So for me, that's as simple as it gets. So uh, when I first ran for school board and having to do it again, I have not altered my desire to make kids at the, the primary conversation in our community. So how do you do that? You do it through conversations. You do it through litigate, not litigation, but um, Uh, legislature. You do it through um, working with like-minded people who also care for kids. One of the things I've really um, 
uh, appreciated since I retired is having the opportunity to connect with other like-minded organizations. We're educating kids, but we can't do it alone. We can't. Schools can't do it alone. We need to have all of those pieces in the community. So when I'm with the anchor, the Alaska Children's Trust, I, we're talking about how do we keep kids safe? In the Anchorage School District, we're talking about how do we keep kids safe? How do we partner? How do we connect those services so that we cast a broader net when we're dealing with kids and families? You know, uh, Best Beginnings is totally, I mean, they're, they're, they're into literacy and children and reading. We're into that too. How do we connect ourselves in ways that are not going to, uh, we're not competing against each other, but we are laying a foundation to support the, the children in this, in this community. For me, it's really a simple equation. If we have a strong education system, both public education and higher education, we will have a stronger community and that community will be invested, hopefully will be, and this community is, thank goodness, is invested in its, in its youth. And I would say just piggybacking off what mom said, you know, like when you think about my formal kind of entree into working, you know, full-time in a public school system, it was as a community schools coordinator. So understanding how critical and pivotal community partnerships are, are. community support is, for public education and community support does include parents and families. Absolutely. Like at the top of that pyramid, it's important. And so when I think about like how we communicate as a department, whom we are trying to communicate to, yes, we have the internal and those are nuanced based on our internal demographics, but then we have the external too, and making sure that we're not just communicating to businesses because they're only a portion of our audience when we're communicating. We have to make it about partnership, knowing that our part, our first partners are our, the families yeah. that support our students at, in their homes every single day. I've never met a family that said, I'm just going to hold my best kid back. <laughs> I'm going to keep them with me and I'm going to send you the one that needs the support. No, we get all of their learners in their whole entire personhood. We get all of the families time, energy, and passion that they have to give. And that's different based on, 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 on each family. And so I think that for me, especially as someone who, who gets to manage those partnerships many times, right. Depending on the content area that they're most closely aligned to, it's important that we continue to cast that net and that we continue to broaden the work that we do, because I don't believe public education was ever intended for us as just the school system to do it by ourselves. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you both so much for your time, for what you do to nurture the beloved community, for what you do to center young people and kids in your work. It's such an honor to be with you today and, and to hear all of the wisdom that you both have to share. So very appreciative of your time. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Okay. Yeah. 